previously on Maverick. I have literally fired hundreds of thousands of bullets and my malfunctions, I could probably count on one hand. I still am of the opinion it was divine intervention. I watched my uncle take my clothes, my computer, and even my money. He put it all in a pile outside and burned everything. When he made that simple decision to grab the Bible instead of the Koran, it just, it was like this button that he pressed that changed his whole life. This is Maverick, and we're in episode three of Bashara's story. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, you're going to want to go do that now. After his uncle's failed attempt at murder, Bashara was kicked out of his house and sent away with nothing. I had a t-shirt, a pair of pants, and my shoes. Nothing else. He figured out that he could get a small bag of dates for around 60 cents, so that's all Bashara ate. He'd survive as long as he could off of water and that one bag, and then he'd find enough money to get another 60 cents worth of dates and start all over again. Things were pretty desperate for him. It's a bizarre feeling, I'm sure, to on the one hand know that you found truth and the Lord has you, and at the same time, the things that are around you are not reflecting that reality, right? When your life is at stake, when you have no home, when you have no clothes, when you don't know where your next meal is gonna come from. So on the one hand, the way that his family has responded to him, the way they've kicked him out, tried to kill him, has only galvanized his faith. It's made it stronger. And in the same breath where he says, I have nothing, he's saying, but I'm never gonna go back. I'm never gonna leave Jesus. So. He's got that rock-solid faith, but it, it's like he just jumped off a cliff and he's still falling. And he doesn't have regrets about what he did, but he also doesn't know what's going to happen. Is he just going to land flat and die? Or is somehow the Lord going to come through? So Dan and Ryan helped Bashara find a small room to rent. It wasn't much, but it was a safe place to stay. He continued to work at the internet cafe, and over the next couple months, they helped him settle into a bit of a new normal. And then Bashara went silent. Dan didn't hear from him for weeks. He couldn't get a hold of him. He stopped by the cafe a few times to see if he was working and he wasn't there. Dan really wasn't sure what to make of it and was getting pretty discouraged. Maybe this was one of those times when it seems like someone's excited about following Jesus, but then things get hard and they turn away. Or maybe something happened to him and Dan didn't really have any way of knowing if he was in trouble. So he was sort of running through these scenarios when all of a sudden he got a text from Bashara. And it said that he'd been talking to some people about Jesus. There were two guys who had believed and who wanted to study the Bible with Bashara. My work was right by a university. I had a lot of friendships with students there. They were the first people I began to evangelize. So after I got that text, we figured out a time to meet up and hear more. By the time they got together with Bashara that next week, there was already a third guy who had joined his study. So he asked Dan and Ryan to help him. The goal was to meet on a weekly basis and study the Bible so that Bashara could turn around and teach it to these guys. And so this is what would happen. We started with Matthew chapter one, 
he shows up kind of late. Um, we do chapter one. The next week he cancels on us. We do another Bible study, but then he says, oh yeah, we're in chapter seven. It's like, what? So there's like plowing through the Bible here. and We're having a hard time like keeping up with them. The next week he cancels on us again and I go over to his shop and I'm, you know, I'm about to say, look, man, don't waste our time. If you're going to show up, you're going to show up. And we walk in the door and here are these four teenage girls, Muslim girls reading the Bible out loud. And he's, you know, like he's got a big smile on his face and he's pointing over at them. The girls were co-workers of his who had seen the Bible on his desk one day and wanted to know more. They started meeting with Bashara and soon they told some of their friends and Bashara was leading one Bible study with the guys and on another night, he was leading this group of teenage girls. And I still had that conversation with him about, hey, look, man, if you want to take this seriously, you got to show up. And then he really took to heart what I had to say. And I can tell you, the dude was never later than like five or 10 minutes ever again. And he kept telling us, we got to read more, we got to read more because we weren't keeping up with his groups. So then eventually we started this program where we were like sitting down on Mondays, reading the word for like two or three hours, going through four or five chapters at a time. And then another day of the week doing the same thing in another part of the Bible because he was at different stages with these different groups. So as they were meeting together, Bashara was soaking up everything he was reading, and he decided he wanted to get baptized. And, you know, there, there was a bit of an issue. This is Ryan again. I mean, Dan comes from a, a Presbyterian background, and I'm from a, a Baptist background. And we agreed on almost everything, but we did not agree on the mode of baptism. Um, and so, you know, what do we do? And so we said, look, man. There's a couple ways to skin this cat in the evangelical world. And we're both going to explain to you what we think it means. And we did not take any shortcuts. I mean, we were working through the Word of God. We were working through historical perspectives and we were answering questions. And we wanted for the authority to be in Scripture. So we did not say to him, hey, you got to be baptized and this is how you do it. We said, you must follow Scripture and you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is how you understand what the Scripture is teaching you. And at the end of the day, he said, I want to go into the river. I want to go underwater. And so that's what we did. So Dan gathered some other local believers together. Most of them were people who had become Christians from Muslim families, just like Bashara. They came over to my house and he shared his testimony. Then we all loaded up in a couple trucks. We went down to the river, which is in the, in the city. It was by this bridge where lots of people were walking by and he got baptized and we had a little time of singing and prayer. And then the police were wondering what we were doing and threatened to <laughs> throw us in jail. And then we went home and it was a nice time. So at this point, two things were happening simultaneously. First, Bashar was growing in his walk and becoming more bold and God was really starting to use him. But second, he was really hoping his boss wouldn't find out that he had converted. I keep going into work and I was always asking God, let my boss not know the things I'm doing. Every day he would ask me to pray Muslim prayers with him. I would make up an excuse and get out of it, but the excuses were getting harder. All this time trying to hide from him that I was a Christian just felt like I was in prison. One day I, I couldn't take it anymore. It was 
the afternoon and he, he said to me, Bishar, go and wash and come here. You and I will pray together. His boss insisted, he said, come pray with us. And he said, no. And he said, come pray. And he said, no. And then his boss said, why not? And he said, that's when I just got tired. I was tired of covering up. He said, because I'm a Christian. And then his boss said, okay. Didn't make a deal of it. Went outside, made a phone call. And that's when about two hours later, his uncle showed up in a military truck with uh, another military guy. And those two guys and his boss took Bishar inside of the shop. They closed the doors. And that's when his uncle just kind of went off on him. Behind the closed doors of the shop, Bashar was beaten. They whipped him repeatedly and tore off his clothes. Bashar had some things at the office that belonged to him. Two laptops, a desk, printer, books. They confiscated all of it, and his boss informed him that he would not be receiving any of the back pay that he owed him. My uncle got up and hit me. He was beating me. But I didn't respond to him. He was beating me, beating me, beating me. He said to the owner of the place, where is the book he's reading? My boss found it in my desk and gave it to him. He took the book and read it. Then he took me in his car and delivered me to the police station. His uncle had some connections at the local jail and told them to keep Bashara locked up until he came back for him the next day. And that night in jail, Bashara lamented. He was asking God why all this kept happening to him, why it had to be so hard to follow Jesus. And he cried himself to sleep. And while he was sleeping, he got an answer. And a voice said to me, don't be afraid, don't be upset. You did not lose anything. I'll prepare things for you. More than that, your Lord Jesus, his too suffered and hates persecution more than yours. That is the thing that gave me strength and encouragement. If suffering comes like this, I suffer, but I will not return back. I will only go forward. When Bashara woke up the next morning, his fellow prisoners were all eager to talk to him. Because unbeknownst to him, they had overheard his conversation with this person in his dream, and they were all pretty freaked out. The guy in the cell with him said he thought Bashara must have been drunk or high. Another guy said that the things Bashara was saying were so filled with meaning that he began to shake from fear. They were in the middle of this conversation when the police chief walked in. He was doing his rounds for that morning. And he got everybody out of the cell and said, you know, why are you here? Got to Bashar, I said, why, you know, why are you here? And he said, because I'm a Christian. My uncle brought me here. And the guy said, is that all you did? And he said, yeah. And he said, look, you can go. And he's like, I don't have any money. I, I don't have anywhere I can go. And the guy gave him money for a taxi and that's how he got home. So I want to go back to the first thing that was happening during this time. Bashar was sharing the gospel, and people were listening. As Dan and I were talking, we were reflecting on one of the biggest factors in this whole thing that could so easily be overlooked is the Bible. The gospel was growing, 
and there was no one standing up and preaching beautifully crafted sermons. There wasn't catchy music drawing people in. No one even had a collection of Bible study materials to pull from. It started with a guy sitting in his room reading the Bible. And it grew because other people saw that same book and wanted more. And it exploded because once they started reading it, it changed everything for them, even though all they did was get together and just read. It's a group of people that would never have association with each other, you know, much less hang out together. People from different walks of life that are coming in and their only commonality sometimes is not even language. It's the Word of God. Yeah, it's remarkable. Just reading the Bible was captivating. It became a lifeline for them to cling to. The stories they were reading were like reflections of their own lives. People facing hardships, losing things, seeing God show up, escaping jail. These weren't stories they told their kids as they tucked them in at night. These were stories they were living. Studying scripture with them was one of the most incredible experiences. It's not this academic disciplinary exercise. It's their bread. It's their water for the day. When they eat it, when they drink it, they go away satisfied. When life is hard, when you're desperate, you cry out to God. And then you see how he speaks to you from his word in your life experience. And for these guys, they had never heard words like that before. And I can tell you, honestly, it doesn't get much better than that to see God's word come alive to me through them. And God's word wasn't just pivotal for these new believers. The Bible played a huge role in this story because it became the only way for Dan to disciple Bashara. How do you walk with someone who's going through stuff you've never had to? You both cling to scripture for dear life. In the midst of one of the most painful moments, I remember Bashara turning to me and asking, Dan, has anyone experienced suffering like this? And it didn't take much reflection on my end to realize, oh yeah, that's not me. (laughs) So I couldn't disciple him or counsel him out of my own experience. And this is where God's word is so invaluable. These aren't just stories or bits of fictional wisdom. These are real people that had life-altering, heartbreaking experiences in their lives and that I knew were true. And I knew that they had redemptive meaning behind them. And so I could, with a high level of confidence, say, you know what, Bashara, you're not alone. There's this guy named Job. And let me tell you what he lost. And let me tell you how God met him in that. When you've got people like Jeremiah, when you've got people like Daniel, like Ezekiel, these people that have walked these hard roads before. And really, when our own experiences aren't enough, God's word is always enough for us to walk with others and what they're going through. The Bible is so important to me because it shows me I'm not alone. I can look at the prophets who have gone before and they too suffered. I can look at Paul's life and see that he also was in prison. Their stories give me strength and encourage me to stay firm in my path. So these small groups started to form and the gospel began to take hold in new ways. Dan and Ryan continued to meet with Bashara and as hard as it was for him to be beaten and fired that day, it swung the doors of possibility wide open. Not only did he literally have nothing left to lose, but he also didn't have a job taking up his time. 
So he was all in. And he was walking out this incredible faith and God was actually showing up. And then Bashar had this vision that wasn't all that different from other visions that he had had, except that it ended up being the first in a series of events that would really start to turn this story on its head. He had this really amazing vision. He's at his house. This is at night. He, he was praying. This was not a dream. This was a vision. He said there were four angels that showed up, two on his right side, two on his left side. And he said they were just like massive. And there was this amazing aroma in the room. So then in this vision, Dan walks in the room and the angels tell him to sit next to them. Then Ryan walks in the room and the angels have him sit on their other side. And no one says anything. They just sit there. And he was just blown away by that. And, and he said, and then they were gone and we were gone. And I said, what do you think that was about? And he said, I don't know. And I shared that story with somebody afterwards. And they just kind of made an offhand comment like, I wonder what's about to happen that he would need a special encouragement like that. And lo and behold, there was something pretty profound that was coming down the tracks. As it turns out, Bashar wasn't the only one who was visited by those angels that night. Someone else was given the same vision. on the next episode of Maverick. He said, Bishara, I want to see you. It's a conversation, what do I do? And I said, I don't know, man. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and stop whenever he wants, and he's still good. I thought he must be trying to trap me. Maverick is a Pioneers podcast. Check out the work they do at pioneers.org. Special thanks to Fisa Konga as the voice of Bashara. 